In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers, and we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com beat and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com beat. Thanks for your help. Hey, this is Ari Melber from MSNBC. Thanks for listening to the Beat with Ari Melber podcast. We want to share some extra programming today, so buckle up and stay tuned for a special edition from MSNBC brought to you by the Beat with Ari Melber podcast. The Justice Department special counsel, Jack Smith, has been building on procedural wins and recruiting this new star witness to testify against defendant Trump at that trial, which is coming up in March. And so right now, I'm going to begin walking you through a lot of things that have just recently changed. Now, Smith has invoked a gag order that he partially won to try to corner Donald Trump further. And in a new filing, Smith urges the federal judge there to actually tighten this gag order, which was going to be paused on appeal, and mentions the possibility or threat of sending defendant Trump to jail before he's convicted, before any trial, if he basically breaks the gag order and rules enough to interfere with witnesses. Now, remember, this move comes as the other prosecutor for coup crimes, D.A. Willis in Georgia, has scored three confessions by Trump aides in about eight days, each of them vowing to testify. Now, these are each separate cases. Both prosecutors are running their own strategy and they have their own timelines. But the progress in Georgia is putting a lot more heat on these defendants. And that may help Jack Smith corner Donald Trump. And remember, Jack Smith has the first criminal trial of Donald Trump. So if convicted there and if it was upheld on appeal, that could send Donald Trump to prison, potentially, hypothetically, before there is an election. Now, I say potentially he is, as a defendant, Donald Trump, presumed legally innocent there. But now look at Georgia, where those confessions put this heat on. You have White House veteran Mark Meadows. And I want you to remember this chart right here because we're going to come back to it and add to it in this special report, because Meadows is seeing these former colleagues that you see up on the upper right, convicted, 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 and he's seeing them vow to testify against Trump and him, because Meadows is a co-defendant there. Meanwhile, and this is important, I'm going to say this very clearly and slowly. Meanwhile, as Meadows worries about that, which could land Mark Meadows in a Georgia prison, note that Meadows is vowing to testify against Trump back over in D.C. with that big ABC report that Meadows is fully cooperating with the coup probe run by Jack Smith in Washington. So, heat on Meadows in Georgia. Heat from Meadows on Trump in D.C. And that is the high-stakes road to Donald Trump's response because he's been berating his former chief of staff as weak for potentially cutting any kind of deal. Now, as a PR move, I could tell you that kind of attack from Donald Trump may sound typical or even tired or, or washed at this point. You've heard it all before. But I'm not talking about PR. In court, where these things are going to be resolved, well, Jack Smith is using it. And that's something he singles out. In the filing I mentioned, Smith talking about Trump's social media posts targeting a known witness to influence and intimidate him. Meadows is that witness. And while 
you are allowed to criticize people in politics and say all kinds of words. Smith is making the case that Donald Trump is on the road to potentially committing another crime, witness intimidation, violating the gag order. And if this were, I can tell you, a random case about a, a street gang or the mafia, a judge could easily jail someone before trial just for messing with witnesses, just for doing what I just showed you Trump is doing. Now, this judge paused that original gag order to give Donald Trump the right to appeal it. But with the Meadows clash, prosecutors are now going further in Smith's office, and they're even pointing to a specific law that allows you to have detention, to jail a defendant for this kind of thing. In plain English, judges can let some defendants roam free before trial with conditions. But if you break those conditions, then yes, you may find that the judge will mandate your detention, that is, you go to jail, and then you have to prepare for your trial behind bars. If that sounds like a more serious punishment or sanction than defendant Trump has faced in a while, well, that's because it is. So, where do we go from here? Well, I can tell you we're going to a place where Donald Trump's odds of being convicted are much higher. As a criminal defendant, Donald Trump is facing more heat now. He's operating as if the courts will not try to make a new precedent and jail him before trial. Jail him not for a coup crime or an election crime or a classified documents crime, but jail him just for breaking trial rules. Now, Trump has broken the spirit of at least the gag order rules in Washington. Jack Smith's walked through that evidence, if not worse. And Trump flatly broke a different civil gag order in the New York case, which is why he had to take the stand and face that grilling under oath there this week and also pay a fine more violations could theoretically be punished by sending him to jail temporarily before trial. Trump is clearly betting no judge wants to make a new precedent of jailing an ex-president before he's even convicted. But note, that is the same kind of bet he made for assuming the feds would not really go after those boxes and boxes of allegedly stolen documents from Mar-a-Lago. And the feds did. It's also similar to the bet Donald Trump made that prosecutors would not indict an ex-president. They'd never done that before in American history. And that has now happened to him by three prosecutors across four cases, leading to the mounting heat you see across the entire nation from New York, where Trump's on trial in civil court now and awaiting a criminal trial in Washington, where Jack Smith is prosecuting Trump in that other federal March criminal coup trial, and down to Atlanta, where those RICO cases have led to those three guilty pleas by his lawyers who are flipping, and then down in Florida, the Espionage Act case. Now, these prosecutors act independently. They are supposed to, and they and their offices have all emphasized that they're doing that. In other words, they don't collaborate on, for example, how to squeeze people or how to get cooperating witnesses in other jurisdictions. They might squeeze and they might pressure, but they only do that in their own case. That's how it's supposed to be. The only level of sort of any coordination you might see is that, and this is required, that sometimes they discuss schedules because you cannot legally ask someone to be in two places at the same time and people have a right to be at their trial. But other than scheduling, you're not seeing direct coordination. However, what is key, and I don't think everyone has actually completely noticed this yet, and boy, we've been busy with a lot of different things, but the core of the report I want to share with you tonight is what I'm about to walk through with you, a breakdown of how the 
Breakthroughs in Georgia are strengthening Jack Smith's hand. I'm going to show you this legal heat because the pressure across the cases makes it more likely that the main defendant here, Donald Trump, could be convicted on a lot of evidence. Now, the most convictions are now coming right out of Georgia. If you take the seven Trump figures on your screen, they were all hit with RICO charges for trying to steal the election, plus other crimes. Now, over just the past eight days here, as we end the week, we've updated this chart in a major way. Three of them have pled guilty. So the convicted people in Georgia, basically that upper top, top right row there, those now convicted Trump lawyers have confessed and vowed to testify against Trump and those other co-defendants that you see on the screen. But now consider the overlap in the open federal case. Two of those Georgia convicts I just showed you and three of those defendants are also on the hook in the federal coup case against Trump. That's Jack Smith's case that you see on your screen. So they are cited as unindicted co-conspirators. You can see co-conspirators stamped on Giuliani and Eastman. And that term has been thrown around a lot. What that means in plain English is the DOJ didn't charge them yet, but it could. So Powell, Cheeseboro, Giuliani, Eastman, Clark, plus I should mention for thoroughness, the sixth co-conspirator in the lower right who remains anonymous. So Jack Smith's case is about the entire coup plot. The Georgia case is just about the parts of the coup plot that went down in Georgia. If you have the whole country and Washington and all those contested states and all the different things Donald Trump was doing, Georgia, of course, is just this Georgia part. But now that people are confessing and flipping in that Georgia part, let me tell you something. What happens in Georgia may not stay in Georgia. And this is sort of the conclusion of the report we want to show you based on our new legal analysis, right out, right out from, uh, well, what we've been doing as a team here on The Beat. I'm going to show it to you, both cases together here. This is where you see a defendant like Trump is in a worse spot than a few weeks ago. Now, that's a lot on your screen. And the first thing you got to know is when you have that many stamps on your screen, it's really bad for the top defendant who you see in the upper left, double indicted Trump. But let me walk you through this. This is way worse than where Trump was just about two weeks ago, because the top witness of all, Trump White House veteran Mark Meadows, is now reportedly cooperating with Jack Smith. So if you just go to the right of Trump, he is indicted in Georgia and a Jack Smith DOJ witness. So he faces, though, the heat from the other witnesses who have already now publicly vowed to testify against Meadows in Georgia. Those witnesses are facing the pressure to match whatever they swear under oath in Georgia with what they say about Meadows and Trump in the federal case. Take Powell and Cheeseboro and Ellis. They could also eye new immunity deals for federal exposure, which would be what the DOJ reportedly granted Meadows. And then there are the defendants and unindicted co-conspirators who are still holding out and battling prosecutors in both jurisdictions. So I'm leaving this on the screen for a long time on purpose, because I want to now draw your attention to those people, Giuliani, Eastman, and Clark. You see, they have the DOJ co-conspirator label. They have that exposure. They are indicted in Georgia. But unlike those other three, they're holding out. What are they holding out for? So I'm going to leave this on the screen while I make a final point here. When you take this together, you have an interaction between these two cases. That is not some grand strategy. Indeed, Jack Smith had no idea that Georgia would ultimately move or not. But Jack Smith's case, which again is the first 
and most perilous place where Donald Trump will go on trial soon, march, and potentially face a conviction that carries prison time. And Jack Smith's case has been strengthened by all the stamps you see on your screen. He didn't know these people would plea, and some of them might be more or less useful to him. He's obviously very interested in Mr. Meadows. But where we are, which is very different than a couple weeks ago, is seeing these cases collide in a way that is hugely helpful to the prosecutor who's first up. And that prosecutor is Jack Smith. If I knew then what I know now, I would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges. I look back on this whole experience with deep remorse. Jenna Ellis confessing to her crimes and discussing her, quote, remorse in court, as you can see on this chart that we've made. And this is new tonight, taking it all together. Ellis is one of the convicted in Georgia. On the upper part of the chart, you see others who are both convicted in Georgia and DOJ co-conspirators. That puts a lot more heat on a lot of people, including Mark Meadows, to cooperate in both cases and strengthens Jack, Smith hand, Jack Smith's hands in the DOJ trial of Donald Trump in March. I want to bring in two experienced prosecutors to discuss all of these issues. Christy Greenberg was a prosecutor at the famed SDNY and Renato Mariotti, a former federal prosecutor. Uh, Renato, we'll bring that back up because when I say it's a lot to process, I think that would be true for anyone, especially if, if you haven't followed all these characters. But um, how has this worked out to now put more heat uh, on Trump in the first upcoming trial? Well, one thing for sure, he can't count on someone like Jenna Ellis or Kenneth Chesbrough coming in and potentially letting him off the hook by saying that they gave him legal advice uh, that, uh, you know, said that this was okay or had conversations with him that may have given him comfort. Instead, I think there's a real prospect that they're going to be coming in and they're going to be testifying for the prosecution and painting a very different picture and potentially revealing things about Donald Trump's state of mind that are going to actually uh, potentially lead to a conviction on, uh, for example, a conspiracy to defraud the United States. Uh, Christy, when you look at the pressure on people like Meadows and Giuliani, uh, these vows from other lawyers uh, mean that they're going to go in in Georgia and be talking all about their emails and meetings and pressers. I mean, Sidney Powell uh, and Jenna Ellis were all, were all around Giuliani. Um, does that put a lot of heat on them that might make their lawyers recommend a plea, whereas a month ago they could have said, well, if nobody pleads, maybe you roll the dice? Well, certainly the pressure is on Giuliani based on Jenna Ellis's statement. Essentially, what she said was, I relied on more experienced lawyers, meaning Rudy Giuliani, to provide truthful and reliable information. Essentially, I, I was duped. I trusted them and I shouldn't have done it. They had more experience. Um, so she's directly pointing the finger at Rudy Giuliani here. Um, you know, the larger question is whether that's all that credible. Um, you know, I, I think it, her value as a cooperator, I think, to Jack Smith would be if she had said not, oh, if I knew then what I know now, you know, I would have done something differently. It's no, what did you know then? And what did others know then? What did Donald Trump know then? What did Rudy know then? Did you really think when you said that Donald Trump won in a landslide that there was evidence to support that? She went on and on about the facts and the evidence. And now to claim that she was just relying on others, I think she still has a credibility problem. So I think if she's going in to see Jack Smith, he's going to really press her on these claims, what she knew and what her conversations were with others to make sure that she is fully owning her own conduct before she just points the, the finger at others.
Right. And that statement is one she drafted, as you both know from your experience, and to remind viewers, uh, in a criminal case, you're answering very targeted questions. You're not waxing philosophically on, on remorse, um, unless you get to the sentencing phase. And Renato, I want to put up the federal uh, chart that we showed. So this is DOJ Jan 6 defendants. When that first came down the pike, people thought, oh, well, why so many unindicted co-conspirators? Um, so those are all the folks listed here as co-conspirators. One of them we still don't know. Do you think, Renato, that uh, Jack Smith's strategy here is working if, as ABC reports, he has Meadows cooperating, he has these other uh, co-conspirators now facing Heen in Georgia? It seems that he has a better hand even than, than he had a few months ago. Absolutely. I think what he tried to do here is have a streamlined indictment that could get him to trial quickly before the election. So you have one defendant, Trump, you have a streamlined set of charges. He wrote around the fact that Mark Meadows existed. Uh, it's pretty obvious when you read the indictment. These other people aren't charged. He doesn't have a statute of limitations issue as to these other people, and he can make a decision at the end of the day. Is someone like Powell, has she done enough? Has she suffered enough here? Is she being helpful? Sort of hanging something over her head. Maybe he won't charge her. Someone like Rudy Giuliani, maybe he will. It really, you know, leaves leaves the door open for them to potentially decide, you know what? I'm going to cooperate and maybe Jack Smith will decide I'm not worth his effort. Um, Christy, does that make Jack Smith somewhat lucky um, or is a good strategy one that you can move in different directions. In other words, without Georgia, he would have a slightly uh, mod modified but similar plan. And with Georgia now, uh, he's not blind to what's happening. Uh, Meadows um, is facing a kind of heat where he wants his lawyers are obviously telling him, figure this out as you go. And if he gets out from under the federal thing, it's hard to imagine him holding strong forever in Georgia. Why would someone do that if they've already started cooperating elsewhere on a similar fact pattern? So Meadows is an interesting case. It's not clear that there's a distinction between getting immunity and, and being a full-fledged cooperator and having a cooperation agreement in the federal system. It looks like what he has, based on public reporting, is use immunity. So anything he has said to the prosecutors in meetings with them or into the grand jury can't be used against him. And it seems as though maybe what Jack Smith is trying to do, at least, is to find out what he knows and at least ensure at a minimum that he's not going to be a good defense witness for Donald Trump. You know, he, he's saying in his book things like DOJ didn't investigate election fraud and, you know, the election was rigged. And then you have reporting that he's going into Jack Smith and saying none of that's true. I, I, I what I said in my book was just to sell books, essentially. Um, so closing out those key those key pieces of evidence with respect to Meadows is is incredibly important. You know, whether or not the fact that it's compelled tells you that that he is not fully on Team USA, uh, but still giving valuable information to Jack Smith in his case. Renato, do you think uh, these are winnable cases against against Meadows and Giuliani and the remainders in Georgia? I do. And I think part of the reason why is you do have this sort of shotgun effect of what Bonnie Willis did. You know, if you fire a shotgun at a crowd of people, you're going to hit somebody, right? And she's already hit some targets. She's bagged a few targets. I think what she sent is a message to the other defendants that she's reasonable. She's not going to pursue the maximum possible penalty. She's not going to try to squeeze them to have a very tough a resolution. She's looking for cooperators. She's looking for people to plead guilty now, and they'll get a reasonable deal if they do. So I really think 
the pressure now is on someone like a Giuliani. If you're Giuliani, you're running out of legal fees. You've actually been sued by some of these fine election workers in Georgia who he defamed. Uh, he's got a, a, a whole host of problems here. Maybe it's attractive for him to be Jenna Ellis and show some remorse uh, in order to get a lenient deal. Jack Smith has already put pressure on defendant Trump after winning that partial gag order. Now, if you've been following the news at all here in America, you probably know that D.A. Willis has just won convictions on the eve of her first RICO trial. Indeed, that trial was supposed to start today, but she won it so decisively there is no trial. I'll explain. Two Trump lawyers pled guilty two days in a row to end just last week. Defendant Trump is showing new concern today that he is worried they will testify against him and it will be damaging. He's posted a new statement, which asserts, referring to Sidney Powell, that she was, quote, one of millions who thought the 2020 presidential election was rigged and stolen. That's his typo, by the way. He goes on to say, quote, Ms. Powell was not my attorney and never was. That claim is false, but it is also telling. And I'll show you exactly why. But here was then lead Trump attorney Giuliani introducing his co-counsel turned co-defendants, Powell and Ellis. This is um, representative of our legal team. We're representing uh, President Trump and we're representing the Trump campaign. Uh, when I finish, uh, Sidney Powell and then, and then Jenna Ellis will follow me. Powell and Ellis from, well, from the mouth of Giuliani, and you see them there. Also having a sidebar chat at their many press conferences during that period that they were trying to steal the election. Powell worked for Trump. Trump even mused about promoting her to a newly created position that would have helped with a potential military coup plot, which they did abandon. So what I just told you about Donald Trump's effort to muddy their links now and what she did for him is a very specific thing. It is an acknowledgement in a way that she matters. It is a response to her and the other attorney, Chesbrough, flipping at the end of last week. How do you plead to the six counts of conspiracy to commit intentional interference with performance of election duties? Guilty. How do you plead to count 15 conspiracy to commit filing false documents in indictment number 23SC188947? Guilty. Uh, can you please state your true and correct legal name? Sydney Catherine Powell. State your true and correct legal name. Kenneth John Chesbrough. How old are you, ma'am? Oh, gosh. <laughs> 68, despite my astonishingly youthful countenance. How old are you and how far did you go in school, sir? 62, I went through law school. Are you pleading guilty today because you agree that there is a sufficient factual basis, that there are enough facts that support this plea of guilty? I do. Are you pleading guilty today because you agree that there is a factual basis that supports this remaining charge? Yes, this charge. Yes, I do. Guilty. They did it. That's what went down in that courtroom at the end of the week, Thursday, Friday. There is a lot going on, whether you follow international news, which of course affects so many people, including people in the United States, and we've all been covering that and living through it. There's also a lot going on in politics, the speaker's race, the vacancy there, Donald Trump's nominee, Jim Jordan, having to bow out after being rejected by Republicans. So whatever you're interested in, in terms of national news, there's a lot going on. And Thursday and Friday, those were big stories. We covered them here, but anyone could be forgiven for busily going on with their day and not knowing all the details of that. But Donald Trump knows the details. 
he is on this like a laser right now because he understands that these are people who can't just be dismissed legally. He can attack them publicly, politically, rhetorically. But legally, these are witnesses. They will be sworn in under oath. And if these cases proceed as we expect, juries will hear these people who aren't just saying bad things about Trump, but they're people who fought for Trump to the very end, up until their own indictment. And so for some jurors, that might be more credible than, say, other people who are seen to be critical or observing at a distance. You know, a witness can be at a distance, too. A witness can say, I, I saw him across the way. I mean, the Georgia elections official who heard Trump's phone call asking to find votes, he's a witness, but at a distance. These people are right up close. These lawyers know a lot from their own roles. Remember, Powell is also listed as co-conspirator three in Jack Smith's Trump indictment, which showed evidence of her working on those Trump briefs in lawsuits and responding to legal plans, where they discussed putting material for suits in Georgia and Pennsylvania. But if Trump commits to his new denial in court, he'll actually undercut efforts to keep any conversations with Powell privileged. So he's kind of damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, even if he's lying about the fact that, of course, she was his lawyer. But what is happening in this case, big picture, as we take it all in and Trump responds today? One, prosecutors are winning the first clashes with Trump over what are now his aides convicted crimes to steal an American election. That's a big deal. That's never happened before. And Trump's aides are losing. Now, that could change. But early cases matter a lot because they set a precedent and they set up evidence, including witnesses, right? We call that testimonial evidence. It's just witnesses for later cases. And that goes up the line. So that's one big thing tonight as we start the week. Two, we're seeing some of the critical cooperating witnesses come into view. Trump and the prosecutors could disagree on practically everything. We don't often come on the air and tell you about how D.A. Willis and Trump or Jack Smith and Trump agree on things. But Check this out tonight as we start the week and Trump goes public on what is clearly scaring him. Here's one thing they do agree on, Trump and D.A. Willis. They agree that Sidney Powell matters. As a convicted criminal, veteran Trump aide and cooperating witness, Powell matters. She matters to prosecutors who will use her and her testimony to try to put others on trial. It is a group RICO case. Most people haven't been tried yet. But Trump, the defendant, also thinks she matters. In fact, he thinks she matters so much that he's not just doing the thing of turning on her in public, but he's trying to specifically make claims to distance her from him, as he has with others beforehand. We've seen that. Now that brings me to point three. Some dominoes are falling. A few could have predicted at the beginning who would crack first, and by the way, if you were playing that game, many would not have predicted Sidney Powell. She sometimes performed as, as such a supposed true believer that even Trump reportedly dubbed her, quote, crazy. But Powell's the first domino in Trump's orbit, and her public vow to testify against others made her former colleague Chesborough crack and confess, as I showed you the very next day, Friday. If you follow the news, you may recall it. If you were busy on your Friday, you may not know, oh, another one cracked, another domino fell. He would have faced her damning testimony at his own trial and risk much harsher jail punishment if convicted. So tonight, as we start the new week and Trump responds, the big question is, of course, the simple one. Sometimes this stuff's complicated. Sometimes it ain't that complicated. Are there more dominoes? We don't know. I can't tell you. I can't prove that up yet. It's a predictive matter at this point. I can report for you that the DA is building a RICO case 
with a theory of dominoes that they want more than two. They got three total. They got two Trump dominoes, people who work with him, and they want more. These two witnesses could be incriminating for others linked to the coup efforts. And specifically, the other top defendant other than former President Trump is White House veteran Mark Meadows, who was getting updates from Powell about her plot to, we now can say illegally, abuse voting software. As of Thursday, that became a now convicted crime in the Georgia plot, that voting data breach, a brazen scheme to break into local voting machines. That's sort of physical vote stealing, different than sort of the broader Washington-based coup ideas. So Powell can testify about what Mark Meadows knew about that and whether he participated in it. She could also speak to Meadows' potential culpability in the charges he faces for soliciting the violation of oath by a public officer in those broader efforts that I mentioned, talking to a Georgia elections official. Just as the other convicted Trump legal vet, Chesbro, can testify about whether Meadows or others participated in the elector fraud, which is now his confessed guilty portion of the plotting. And that is the first felony confession by any Trump aide for Jan 6 activities. He put those plots in writing. And you can see here, at the very bottom, that data breach convicted is the Powell plot. The elector's plot, the very first on top, and it's first up there because it started the earliest, is now convicted. I cannot fairly or journalistically tell you whether any of those other plots will be convicted. They are indicted, but legally, the people that are indicted for those yellow plots are presumed innocent. We will see what happens. I can tell you that the red arrows on your screen are now, in all of American history, these convicted Trump coup crimes. That's new as of Thursday and Friday. And for all the talk about whether people believe their own lies on behalf of Donald Trump or others, I want to show you something else relatively recent as we take all this new information together. Notice how I'm going to show you both in the courtroom and in general, Chesbro's lawyer confirms all along the big lie that Chesbro, the now convicted felony Trump aide, knew Donald Trump lost. The defendant created and distributed false electoral college documents to individuals in Georgia and other states. Mr. Chesborough never be, I believed in the big lie. And are you pleading guilty today because you agree that there is a factual basis that supports this remaining charge? Yes, this charge. If you ask Mr. Chesborough today who won the 2020 presidential election, he would say Joe Biden. If you asked him, well, who was asking? That's not a rhetorical question, as they say. D.A. Willis's team could ask him, as well as the other convict, Sidney Powell, under oath about that set of activities, that coup-related crime, that now-convicted fraud felony. They could ask what other co-defendants did. Now, Chesbro is less well-known than, say, Powell, but he worked with the very well-known Giuliani and Eastman, both of which, both of whom, I should say, if I want to get my grammar right, but both of whom were architects of not only what went down in Georgia, which is being prosecuted for specific reasons based on the evidence there, but what stretched all the way back to Washington, to the coup plot, to what Jim Jordan and Ted Cruz and others hoped to do in Washington. So with the lies crumbling, and some of these convicted lawyers for Donald Trump now turning state's witness, the big question is the simple one. Sometimes the big questions are simple. 
is this the beginning of many dominoes falling? Or, again, in fairness to the other defendants and the theory of the case, is this a few people cracking early, people who'd agitated for a speedy trial? Those lawyers requested it. And that doesn't mean that we're going to get five more dominoes. That is the big question. And like I mentioned, in all reality, there's a lot going on. So not everyone is following this super closely. It is the top story right now tonight because it's a big deal when the top people who work directly for the former president of the United States admit in court, we did it. Another Trump lawyer confessing to election crimes today, Jenna Ellis, shown here in her mugshot in Georgia, now a convicted felon, the third Trump lawyer to confess and flip within one week. The dominoes keep falling in this RICO case. Last week, of course, ended with two lawyers who used to represent Donald Trump going into court confessing and pleading guilty. Ellis now joins them. I want to show you briefly all three of these guilty pleas together. How do you plead guilty? Guilty. Guilty. There it is. In all, this is now the fourth total conviction in the RICO cases. D.A. Willis is four and zero. The key Trump lawyer convicts are, of course, the higher up in the food chain of this chart. The other two Trump lawyers, well, they pled out on the eve of a trial that was actually scheduled to begin this week. If they hadn't pled guilty, we'd be covering that right now. Ms. Ellis was not about to start an imminent trial. She rushed back to court today as her own choice, reacting to the growing pressure from her convicted colleagues, trying to get a deal while she still can. What you see here, this new footage, is from that Atlanta courtroom today. Ellis's plea is also different from some of the other things we heard in the other two plea deals. We will show you that in moments ahead. I also want to tell you, to be clear, that her Guilty plea does build on a point that we have been reporting on, how when the dominoes start falling in these cases, well, they can fall faster and faster and faster. Ellis pleading guilty today to the felony count of aiding and abetting false statements, basically fraud, to try to steal an election. And those lies were pitched, among other places, to members of the Georgia Senate at a specific meeting where she and other Trump attorneys and aides were trying to get Georgia to steal the votes of its own constituents. It may have seemed far-fetched. Some crimes are far-fetched. Today, the lies in service of that are themselves a crime. Now, as for this court hearing today, Ms. Ellis spoke longer than the other two Trump convicts. She was at times clearly visibly emotional. She read a statement that she wrote today that expresses what she called remorse and also broke with her years of lies and misconduct on behalf of Donald Trump. So she did do that. On the other hand, she also today, in her words, continued to try to muddle or dodge accountability by blaming others. She tried to blur the context of her own now convicted crime. She suggests that the established fact of Donald Trump's loss was actually something she claims today that she was duped into believing by others. That is a narrative that minimizes the obvious lies that she and Rudy Giuliani peddled. And after I show you the facts of today's courtroom, I will say a little bit more about that in our report tonight. But first, her remarks ran in total about one and a half minutes. And for you, we are going to air them in full now. Thank you, Your Honor, for the opportunity to address the court. As an attorney who is also a Christian, I take my responsibilities as a lawyer very seriously, and I endeavor to be a person of sound moral and ethical character in all of my dealings. 
In the wake of the 2020 presidential election, I believed that challenging the results on behalf of President Trump should be pursued in a just and legal way. I endeavored to represent my client to the best of my ability. I relied on others, including lawyers with many more years of experience than I, to provide me with true and reliable information, especially since my role involved speaking to the media and to legislators in various states. What I did not do, but should have done, Your Honor, was to make sure that the facts the other lawyers alleged to be true were in fact true. In the frenetic pace of attempting to raise challenges to the election in several states, including Georgia, I failed to do my due diligence. I believe in and I value election integrity. If I knew then what I know now, I would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges. I look back on this whole experience with deep remorse. For those failures of mine, Your Honor, I have taken responsibility already before the Colorado Bar who censured me, and I now take responsibility before this court and apologize to the people of Georgia. Thank you. There you have it. Now, there are very few style points that matter in court. Ellis got a plea deal because she'll testify against others, not based on the words in that statement. In fact, the other two convicted Trump lawyers didn't offer any statements at all. So people can assess or dismiss what she said in court today. What matters is what she will do and, of course, what she now admits she did. There will be recorded testimony by her and these other lawyers that will be used later in this RICO coup case. She'll be required to testify truthfully. And those who followed the news in 2020 will see a glaring contrast from today's Jenna Ellis, a convicted felon, telling this fairly new story to the judge, to the lawyer and spokesperson who used her role as a means to lie and cheat and undercut public trust in American democracy and the honest administration of elections in ways that proved profoundly damaging and at times literally dangerous. This is an elite strike force team that is working on behalf of the president and the campaign. I don't think any honest person can look at all of this and say, yeah, this was an election that was conducted fairly. There is substantial and, and more than enough evidence to show that the, this election was irredeemably compromised. That's what the Democrats do. If they don't like the rules, they change them. The election was stolen and President Trump won by a landslide. This is the county that had the switch of uh, 6,000 votes from President Trump to Joe Biden. As long as I know that I'm pursuing truth and I'm doing the right thing for God and my country, that's all that matters. What do you want people to take from this? What is the, here's my big question, what is the point of all this? <laughs> well, the point of this, of course, is to get to fair and accurate results. I relied on others, including lawyers with many more years of experience than I, to provide me with true and reliable information. It is not about overturning an outcome. It is about making sure that election integrity is preserved. I believe in and I value election integrity. If I knew then what I know now, I would have declined to represent Donald Trump. If I knew then what I know now, this is the new convicted Ellis. It's a familiar sentiment. It's actually one captured in an iconic song by Faces. I wish that I knew then what I know now when I was younger. I wish that I knew what I know now when I was stronger. And in that sense, knowingly or not, she is tapping into an appealing sounding narrative. And remember, these convicts, and that is their legal status now, these people are convicts. These MAGA 
convicts are also lawyers and communication operatives. They are skilled in narrative. So they lean on that kind of narrative. I wish I knew. But factually, these election crimes are not some youthful indiscretion. These crimes, now convicted, are not the mistakes that people make as they grow up and make friends and fall in love and out of love. That's not the correct genre. And that's especially not the case with lawyers who have a job and a salary and an oath all based on a very clear, researched understanding of what the law is. The evidence, and now the legal process, shows these lawyers, including Ms. Ellis, crossed those very clear, obvious, long-standing criminal lines. And they did it for the worst reasons, not what comes sometimes in court, it could be called a mitigation or what you get for lenience. They did it for the worst reasons, for their own self-interest, their sense of power, their desire to overthrow your government. Now, Ellis did mention those consequences in that statement today, including the sanction she already received from the bar. Today's punishment includes probation and a fine and her vowing to cooperate. So if you're counting where we go from here, as people think about dominoes, well, the top key RICO defendants, fully one-third of them, are now cooperating witnesses against the remainders, against Meadows, Eastman, Clark, Giuliani, and, of course, defendant Trump. As for what Ellis knows the prosecutors could use in any future criminal trials, I'll tell you right now, she wrote memos about trying to get Pence to steal the race by claiming power to toss votes in Washington on January 6th. She had that earlier indictment for trying to get a public officer to violate their oath. Prosecutors documented at least 10 acts that she took with Giuliani, including, as mentioned, the lies to the state legislature. In fact, we know what it looked like. This was the December 3rd 2020 hearing, you can see her there, seated to Giuliani's left. What you see on your screen, in total, is now her confessed crime. If anyone ever says, well, did it really happen, or how did it go down, or I don't believe the media, you don't have to believe the media. On this one, you can just believe Jenna Ellis under oath, because she confessed, she is remorseful, she says, oh, if she knew, she wouldn't have done it. Ellis admits multiple claims today about election fraud that occurred at the hearing you just saw there, they were false, some of them so obviously so, like the completely made-up claim that 60,000 people who were underage, minors, somehow registered to vote, and that not a few dead people with voting rolls mistakes might have been miscounted. No, that 10,000 people rose like zombies from the dead and voted. D.A. Willis overall has implicated, as we've shown you, at least six plots in the original indictment. Ellis's guilty plea goes to lying, and her underlying indictment goes to Georgia overturning votes in that meeting that you saw. That's indicted. Others may still yet face that consequence. Chesbro and Powell's guilty pleas went to the arrows you see here, the fake electors plot and the voting data breach. Those are now convicted. These Colors here are based only on the legal process in Georgia. So when they flip red, that's not, again, the media or someone else deciding that. That means these are now convicted crimes. Before the guilty plea, Ellis had also complained Trump wasn't funding her legal defense. That's how it started. Then the other pleas came in. 
And then she decided she'd rather be the third domino among the Trump aides than, say, the fourth or the fifth. We hear about this very classic comparison to dominoes because this is what you're witnessing in the RICO case by a DA who clearly knows how to bring a large, complex RICO case and get people talking and cooperating. What's true tonight is something very clear. When you look at what's happened, it is now a legal and journalistic and public reality fact that three people who worked for Donald Trump, as his lawyers, all confess and admit it together, they committed crimes to try to steal the election. 